Hey, this is Mohal Joshi from Los Angeles, California. I follow Indian foreign policy and defense with a special focus on Asia. You can follow me on Twitter at Mohal Joshi. Hey, this is Kishore Narayan from Bengaluru in India. I am an international relations expert specializing in global security, conflict resolution, and international negotiation. My focus areas include peace building and digital diplomacy. You can find me on Twitter at Veggie Diplomat. Hello and welcome to episode 16 of India Rising, Strategic Affairs Conversations with Mohal and Kishore, a show in which we analyze the happenings from around the world and their impact on India. India and the rest of the world were taken by surprise by the sudden announcement by the Prime, by Prime Minister Narendra Modi on live television that on 27th of March, India had conducted an ASAC test. With this, India became just the fourth nation in the world after the United States, Russia, and China to have conducted such a test. Now, what is an ASAC? ASAT or anti-satellite are weapons which destroy or incapacitate satellites orbiting in space. This can be used to hamper and or disable the enemy communication and reconnaissance infrastructure. This would leave the oppo opponent blind, making them vulnerable to attacks from the aggressor nation. While the United States and Russia have conducted such tests since a few decades, China just conducted a test in 2007. The test uh, conducted by China uh, involved uh, destroying its own weather satellite at a height of about 850 kilometers uh, above the surface of the Earth, which created more than 3,000 pieces of space debris, which created a massive problem for other satellites at that altitude and invited worldwide condemnation. The, the launch conducted by India was conducted in Balasore, in uh, uh, Wheeler Island, which has now been renamed as APJ Abdul Kalam Island. Now, Mohal, if you can go through the history behind the ASAT program and also how it evolved. Yeah, so the ASAT program has basically evolved from the BMD program, which is the Ballistic Missile Defense Program. So what's the ballistic missile defense? Uh, what's ballistic missile defense? So ballistic missile defense is a system which is used to detect, track, intercept, and destroy or incapacitate uh, incoming ballistic missiles from the enemy. Now, after the 1999 Kargil war, uh, India, due to the fear of a nuclear escalation with Pakistan in the future, wanted to purchase an anti-ballistic missile system uh, to protect itself. Now, India at that time made inquiries about purchasing the, era, the Israeli Arrow 2 interceptor system. Now, USA was being one of the main partners in the system, refused to allow uh, or sort of vetoed uh, Israel to sell the system to India, citing that it would violate the MTCR or the Missile Technology Control Regime uh, standards. Now, this blocking of a sale to India led it to realize that it needed to work on a development of an indigenous uh, ABM or an anti-ballistic missile system. Now, India uh, was 
able to acquire a couple of the green pine long range tracking radars which were part of the uh, israeli arrow uh, interceptor system uh, the drdo or defense research and development organization uh, which is based in india developed the the swordfish long range tracking radar uh, <clears throat> which is basically an acknowledged derivative of this green pine that we had bought from the israelis so th this swordfish long range ra uh, tracking radar has a range of up to 800 kilometers and can reportedly scan 200 targets uh, even as small as the size of a tennis ball now in parallel uh, to the this radar being developed india had developed a two-tier ballistic missile shield or uh, defense system with the the pad as one component of the prithvi air defense and the aad the advanced air defense so what this does it's a two-tier system the Prithvi air defense is for the higher altitude or the exo or what's referred to as exoatmospheric interception near to the edge of space at an altitude of 80 to 85 kilometers. While the advanced air defense or ad was used for endo atmospheric interception, which is the sort of little bit lower than the, the pad at an up to a range of up to 30 kilometers. So this is like a two-tier uh, defense uh, shield. Now, um, so the, the pad was basically was supposed to be a high altitude interception system during a missile's mid-course phase, while the ad was supposed to be a low altitude interception system in the terminal or the final phase of the ballistic missile's trajectory. Now, uh, this was tested like around like 2006 uh, for the first time later on after this was successfully tested we started development on a new anti-ballistic missile interceptor called the pdv or the prithvi defense vehicle which which is which replaces the pad now which was also now capable of destroying an alt uh, targets at an altitude of uh, 150 kilometer uh, so this is just a brief history of uh, how the ballistic missile defense and then we will go into uh, the the references with ASAT. Uh, mm -hmm. So Kishore, like, could you go into the details of what exactly happened on March 27th when the ASAT test was done by India? Sure. Uh, just before that, uh, just a point to add on to what you mentioned, uh, Mohan. So uh, for the commoner listening to this kind of a uh, tech-heavy uh, issue. Uh, the thing is that if the enemy fires a ballistic missile at you, he would actually launch it up into the exo-atmosphere. So the initial part of the launch, uh, where where you actually take quite a uh, quite a time to actually detect that there is a missile uh, which is targeted towards you. Uh, by that time, the uh, enemy missile would already be uh, almost in its uh, mid-phase. And when I say mid-phase, it would be in the uh, exo-atmosphere. Now, uh, it is actually quite difficult always to target and bring down and bring down a missile when it is in the exo-atmospheric uh, 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 range. So generally what happens is by the time you respond to it, 
the missile would already be in a uh, terminal uh, phase, which means that it would be uh, heading back into the Earth atmosphere. And that is the point that uh, Mohal was trying to make of the endo-atmospheric interception. And therefore, uh, there are multiple factors uh, at play here. One is the uh, excess gravity and uh, the, uh, the high velocity of the uh, object that is falling back into the Earth's gravity. The second is the, uh, the huge amount of interference provided by the atmosphere itself. And also uh, the very limited time that you have to strike down the uh, enemy missile. So all these kind of complicate uh, uh, how you end up having your own ballistic missile defense. And yeah, uh, I mean, yeah, go ahead, Mohan. Yeah. So what I wanted to uh, give for the common uh, listeners is like, or the common people like who uh, might be wanting to understand this more. Like, just imagine you are throwing a ball from a far distance uh let's say to a player far away so the the ball would take an oval trajectory where it would go all the way up to the highest point called the apogee mm -hmm. and then it would come back down so the the goal is like if you could when the ball is at the maximum height it is also moving at the slowest speed so when you can target it at the, its highest point or maybe not at its highest point, maybe when it's starting to come down, that would be your exo-atmospheric uh, interception. But if you let the ball come all the way down, the, when gravity takes over, the missile will be in its terminal or its final phase, it would be moving at an extremely high speed. So interception would be hard. So the, the goal is however higher you can uh, intercept it, the, the ballistic missile would be at a lower speed, uh, which means that you they would be easier to intercept relatively than when it's a terminal phase right at the end. Perfect. Thank you, Mohan. So yeah, coming back to your original question, I'm sorry I had to take a longer detour for that. So uh, with re with regard to what exactly happened on the 27th of March, uh, uh, we actually ended up using a derivative of the Prithvi defense vehicle. Uh, to destroy an Indian satellite which had already been decommissioned and it's now commonly believed that it was a microsat uh, R and uh, this was at an altitude of uh, 300 kilometers. Now to put it into perspective on how much accuracy and precision is needed to hit this kind of a satellite, uh, consider these facts. At 300 kilometers, a satellite with an LEO, which is a low Earth orbit satellite, it travels at approximately a little over 8 kilometers per second. So even if the targeting is off by 10 milliseconds, not 10 seconds, but 10 milliseconds, you would miss the target by over by close to 80 meters. That's the kind of uh, accuracy and precision we are talking here. Now, in an exclusive interview to ANI, the DRDO chairman, G. Satish Reddy, uh, when asked about the reason behind uh, choosing a 300 kilometer altitude range for the target, he indicated that uh, protecting nearby space assets had to be considered. Uh, I quote him here, uh, as a responsible nation, we wanted to be sure that all space assets were safe and all the debris decayed fast. And he also added that 
uh, he, uh, the uh, AHAT missile had capability of uh, had a range of up to uh, thousand kilometer well. Now he also added that the missile uh, has technology developed for ballistic missile defense applications, particularly the kill vehicle. Now, in addition to uh, the DRDO chairman, uh, India's Ministry of External Affairs, the MEA, also issued a statement uh, indicating that this was a technological mission carried out by the DRDO. The satellite used in the mission was one of India's existing satellites operating in lower orbit. The test was fully successful and achieved all the parameters as per plan. The test required an extremely high degree of precision and technical capability. The significance of the test is that India has tested and successfully demonstrated its capability to interdict and intercept a satellite in outer space based on complete indigenous technology. With this test, India joins an exclusive group of spacefaring nations consisting of USA, Russia, and China, unquote. So uh, the questions now being raised are, does this actually mean that India is now entering into an arms race in the outer space? Now, again, as per the official press release from the MEA, India has no intention of entering into an arms race in the outer space. Uh, India has al always maintained that uh, space must be used only for peaceful purposes. And it is against weaponization of outer space and also supports international efforts to reinforce the safety and security of all space-based assets. India also believes that the outer space is the common heritage of humankind and it is the responsibility of all space-faring nations to preserve and promote the benefits flowing from advances made in space technology and its applications for all. Uh, India also mentioned that it is a party to all the other major international treaties relating to uh, outer space. Uh, India already implements a number of transparency and confidence building measures called uh, TCBM, including registering space objects with the UN register, uh, pre-launch notifications, measures in harmony with the UN space mitigation guidelines, participation in interagency space debris coordination activities with regards to space debris management, undertaking uh, uh, space object proximity awareness, and also collision avoidance analysis, and quite a few other new, uh, international cooperation activities, including hosting the UN-affiliated Center for Space and Science Technology Education in Asia and Pacific. India has been participating in all sessions of the UN Committee on the peaceful uses of outer space. Now, uh, India also supported United Nations General Assembly Resolution 69 bar 32 on no first placement of weapons on outer space. India continues to see the no first placement of weapons in outer space as only an interim step and not a substitute for concluding substantive legal measures to ensure the prevention of an arms race in outer space, which should continue 
to be a priority for the international community. India, uh, according to the MEA, supports the substantive consideration of the issue of prevention of an arms race in outer space in the Conference on Disarmament, where it has been on the agenda since 1982. Now, what is the international law on uh, weapons in outer space? The principal international treaty on space is the 1967 Outer Space Treaty. India is a signatory to this treaty and it ratified it in 1982. The Outer Space Treaty prohibits only weapons of mass destruction in outer space, not ordinary weapons. India expects to play a role in the future in the drafting of international law on prevention of an arms race in outer space, including inter alia on the prevention of the placement of weapons in outer space in its capacity as a major spacefaring nation with proven space technology. India is not in violation of any international law or treaty to which it is a party or, uh, or any national obligation. Now, uh, Raji Pillai, a, a strategic affairs uh, expert, uh, said in an article that India cannot avoid the increasing militarization of outer space and ignore the reality and ignoring this reality will only hurt India's security interests. Now I will have to take you people back to uh, an eerily similar situation that happened uh, during 1996 to 1998 in which India found itself racing against time to conduct a peaceful nuclear explosion. Uh, let, let me take you to that situation then and explain how it panned out. India, uh, right from its independence, uh, had been a strong supporter of a comprehensive test ban. However, during the negotiations for a comprehensive test ban treaty, India found the reality had changed in its neighborhood. Pakistan had bombs in its basement, uh, although it had not publicly uh, declared that it had weapons and uh, China already had an arsenal uh, with itself. So India remained part of the treaty negotiations that were happening in Geneva until the 11th hour. Now what happened at that stage was that uh, entry into force treaty uh, remained in limbo until countries signed and ratified. Now what does entry into force mean? Now according to the negotiators, now at least about 40 companies should uh, uh, sign and ratify for this treaty to come into uh, effect. And this also included all the nuclear powers, both de jure and de facto. India felt that this was a forced constraint on its sovereign, on its, uh, sovereign rights and walked away. By, I mean, India basically had two complaints. One, that this would not lead to a universal nuclear disarmament and two, that it was discriminatory on India. India, however, cleared the confusion around it and said that it would not stand in the way of entry into force of the uh, Comprehensive Test Ban Treaty. However, a bigger factor was being played out during this time. Mid-1995 uh, saw talks about the Nuclear Non-Proliferation Treaty, the NPT, uh, being extended indefinitely. Remember, India always believed that the NPT itself was a flawed treaty 
splitting the world into two categories of countries, nuclear haves and nuclear have-nots. Countries like the United States, United States, who wanted this to happen, who wanted the NPT to be extended indefinitely, uh, saw India as an outlier. So President Clinton prevailed on the then Indian government, led by P.V. Narasimha Rao, to not go for yet another round of nuclear tests. Now, P.V. Narasimha Rao government agreed to it and did not uh, press the button. And uh, this, was, this was followed by a political instability during the 1996 to 1998 period, a period of about roughly two years. Now, when the Atal Bihari Vajpayee government came into power in March 1998, India realized that time was running out before uh, the comprehensive test ban would become a reality, although it has been signed, but it has yet to come into effect. And uh, India would be forced down, and uh, the comprehensive test ban would be forced down India's throat. So uh, the Indian establishment agreed to bite the bullet and in May 1998, India announced to the world that they had conducted peaceful nuclear explosions and imposed a unilateral moratorium on itself. Now, there have been three governments after that, and none of them have felt the need to violate the self-imposed moratorium. Now, the situation that India finds itself now in is kind of eerily similar to uh, the situation that India found itself during the 96 to 98 period. Now, there are talks of uh, having a, a international law on barring weapons in outer space. And uh, India would again find itself on the, on the other side of the aisle, where it would be forced not to conduct any uh, tests to uh, demonstrate its technical competence. And hence, there was a need for India to uh, kind of urgently uh, test the capability and also ensure that it had uh, demonstrative uh, technical competence. So, uh, Mohal, if you can now point out how many critics uh, who argued that this test was hurriedly done for vested interests, uh, approval for the test and other controversies. Now, if you can point out that, that will be helpful for the listeners. Yeah, so there's been a lot of controversy around the timing of this test and stuff. So interestingly, like the DRDO chairman, uh, Satish Reddy, said that the clearance for the test was given back in 2017, uh, a, a long time ago, almost two years. Now, they did go into mission mode six months ago. So it wasn't like a sort of an overnight decision. Also, interestingly, the target satellite for this, which has been reported as per some reports, to be Microsat R, uh, which is not some old and old end of the life satellite, but actually it was just launched two months ago on mm -hmm. January 24th of 2019. So, like, it's not a really old satellite. You just blow up. It's just like a, actually this satellite was launched with a purpose in just this Jan. Now, this shows clearly that the wheels for this test had been set in motion from some time and it didn't just happen magically overnight as some critics would like to believe. Now, regarding the other part of the controversy, like, so regarding the approval of uh, the test, uh, defense journalist Shivarur in an interview posted on Lifeist in 2010 had Dr. Uh, Avinash uh, Chandar 
than the directors of uh, advanced system laboratory stating on record that if the government uh, and I quote, if the government calls upon DRDO to deliver such a weapon, it would take less than three years to uh, first test. Now, Dr. Uh, Chander at that time further added that we have developed technology blocks that can be uh, integrated to create an anti-satellite weapon. What we need is the technology to boost the munition into space, which we have proven very robustly with the Agni program. Uh, and we need a kill vehicle of considerable energy and terminal phase accuracy, which our scientists have proven with the advanced air defense or the AAD anti-ballistic missile interceptor tests. Now we can put these blocks together and fine tune the weapon as an anti-satellite weapon. If required to, we can deliver this. So the hints were there all along, even by as back as 2010, that we had the capability uh, and the building blocks were there. Obviously, some fine tuning and some developments had to be made to do this, but the basic building blocks were there for sure. Now, regarding another controversy, uh, regarding DRDO, the former DRDO chief, Dr. Saraswat, <coughs> is a bit curious. The reason I say is that uh, just after the test a few days ago, he had said to the effect that India, ha after India had carried out the Agni 5 capability demonstration, <coughs> he had made presentations to the previous UPA government, including the defense minister, uh, A.K. Antony, and then National Security Advisor Shiv Sankar Menon to give clearance for the test, uh, which he never got. I mean, this is something which uh, in a recent article, like uh, Shiv Sankar Menon has uh, denied ever uh, getting a request to do a test. But back in, curiously, back in 2010, he told Life is that, uh, and I quote, we already have a design study of such a weapon. But at this stage, the country does not require such a platform in its strategic arsenal. Testing a weapon such, uh, such a weapon also has a lot of repercussions which have to be taken into consideration. But testing is not an issue. We can always rely on simulations and ground tests. We can see in the future if government wants such a weapon. If so, our scientists are fully uh, ready to deliver it. So there is like... Uh, contradictions between the 2010 and the 2019 and this is something only like in future uh, more clarifications will be able to uh, know like which of the two statements is like factually true the 2010 where he wasn't so keen on it or 2019 when he said like the previous government blocked it however what is undeniable in this controversy is that the National Security Advisor and Prime Minister Narendra Modi did give approval for the test to proceed on March 27, 2019. Uh, however, there is a small difference that back during the 2010 time frame, what India had developed was uh, uh, if India could have tested, it would have been uh, more like a radio frequency seeker, uh, which is used to uh, uh, locate the target and uh, destroy it but uh, since then we have made a couple of more uh, advanced developments like one we have developed an indigenous IIR seeker which is basically an imaging infrared 
and a more agile kinetic kill vehicle which wasn't present back then which would and this this both of these changes would uh, would now make a difference in the success probability of interception uh, with the target you sure yeah so uh so that kind of explains the so what are the importance of this insight test then yeah so uh, many defense analysts uh, including like saurav jain yusuf unjawala have said that the importance of asat test can be placed on the same level as the 1998 uh, pokhran nuclear test the pokhran to nuclear test mm -hmm. now asat is not a conventional weapon to be used in war but is rather a strategic weapon like nuclear weapons for deterrence now the adversary might want to uh, uh, blind you or incapacitate you by taking out your satellites but he now knows that if you have the same capability on your hand you could return the favor by taking out his satellites also so this is something like the nuclear weapons like he might launch on you but if he knows that you also have the same capability he it might give him pause to use them because he might also suffer the same destruction what you might get so what india has done now is done is capability demonstration which would send a signal to china which already possesses this capability and would now have to take notice now pakistan does have some satellites but they they don't have this asset capability so this is more of sort of an evening of the odds with china as some would put it now space is as today is a nice strategic domain with the proliferation of information and data sharing with between various elements and hardware systems of the armed forces in the c4 isr domain which is commonly known as command control communications computer intelligence surveillance and reconnaissance so uh, basically it's like a interconnected uh, uh, world with data links among all the uh, various military assets which would be all highly dependent on satellites now this deterrence capacity is useful to guarantee some sort of protections of one's own space assets versus the adversaries now does this mean that you can take out all of enemy satellites and he wouldn't know anything the answer is no as like most of the communication satellites are either in medium or high orbits more than like thousand kilometers above the earth and up to 36,000 kilometers for geostationary satellites now the low earth, earth orbit satellites are the which can be targeted with what india has tested on march 27th are the ones which can be which are used for electro optical imaging intelligence gathering remote sensing and reconnaissance which would be the under the threat from asat or i mean this the 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 various capabilities i just listed are basically what you was commonly referred as spy satellites or some of these spy satellites now we need to understand i think Kishore, as you mentioned that the asat test uh, in what context it has been conducted it is similar to what you described that uh, the the i believe it was the ctbt news 
that the uh, the incumbent nations attempted to put around india's neck in the lead up to 1998 pokhran test a similar space uh, a treaty has been in the offing and they were trying to parcel india with it uh, so this is very crucial to see that uh, we have been we have sort of preempted any treaty being signed where we would be left out or left on the sidelines now that we have this capability we will be part of drafting or uh, this treaty in the future whenever it happens also the 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 bmd aspect of this test should not be overlooked the ballistic missile defense now some have argued that this is more less about bringing down satellites and more about proving that you could do an exert atmospheric interception at very high altitudes for uh, maybe like inter irbms like intermediate range ballistic missiles or even like uh, like intercontinental ballistic missiles in the future because the longer the range the higher they go up in the atmosphere and you need to uh, try to intercept them at a higher altitude so uh, that's all folks for this week on the asat and its significance uh, so like every week we we do we do our recommendations for this week so if you're listening to our episode for the first time each episode we recommend to you any book article or any other read we might feel might interest you so keeping the practice going kishore what is your recommendation for this week yeah so i saw a wonderful uh, representative video model uh, done by analytical graphics a company which uh, kind of works in uh, the field of uh, space simulation. And they showed how the hit to kill ASAT happened over the Bay of Bengal. So in that video, you can see the, uh, the rogue uh, satellite um, heading north uh, over the Bay of Bengal towards Bengal and uh, that region, Bengal and Bangladesh. And, uh, and the hat had uh, headed out from uh, Odisha, kind of uh, climbs climb up and uh, hit, hit uh, over the Bay of Bengal, mind you. And uh, the debris kind of uh, spreads out in both directions, both north and uh, southward. Now, the only factual uh, error that I see there is that uh, the video kind of represents that uh, there can be a thousand to two thousand uh, uh, debris that could spread out in both directions. However, uh, I I read an article from uh, um, the United Nations, basically from Pentagon, uh, saying that there can only be as many as two fifty to two seventy objects of uh, satellite debris that that could have been generated due to the hit. So, if you can ignore that factual uh, error. Uh, I think this video model should be a good uh, insight to understand how it works uh, visually. And also, I think as you mentioned that, uh, like this debris, whatever the number it be, they would eventually, because of the low height at which they conducted the test, uh, they would disintegrate and uh, as they fall back to Earth over the next few weeks. Exactly. So within about uh, three, four. Uh, fortnight or maybe 45 days, either the debris would completely burn out or would fall back in uh, due to Earth's gravity. 
Yeah. So, mm -hmm. uh, Mohal, what is your recommendation for the week? Yeah. So, uh, my recommendation for this week is a article by Saurav Jha in mm -hmm. the Daily Defense Review. It just uh, has more information on this uh, latest uh, Prithvi defense vehicle uh, a uh, for the anti-ballistic missile interceptor. And uh, I mean, uh, also I would like to recommend not only this article, but also the movie, Gra the movie Gravity. Usually we don't do movie recommendations, but I'll change it for this week. The reason I say is that uh, it shows a representation of how when uh, anti-satellite test happens, it creates a large debris field which can have uh, tragic consequences in space if the debris field comes in the path of other uh, space shuttles or space stations or satellites and which can have a cascading effect which could be uh, very deadly uh, in a space environment. Something to do with ASAT over here. <clears throat> so that, dear listener, uh, listeners, wraps up today's episode where we covered the hit to kill ASAT test conducted by India this week. To continue hearing about such interesting topics, uh, please do subscribe to our channel India Rising wherever you are listening to us on YouTube or on SoundCloud. Uh, we would also like to hear from you if you have any suggestions on topics that you would like us to cover. Uh, please do remember that these topics should be directly related to Indian foreign policy. Until the next episode, this is Mohal and Kishore signing off. Mm -hmm.